How y'all doing? Okay, this is our uh, this is our series that uh, we've been talking about a little bit, and uh, we're super excited to talk some theology. I just was uh, we were like talking a little bit, and uh, we're gonna keep this kind of like a podcast style where we're gonna kind of converse, we're gonna kind of like share our thoughts, obviously to you, but me and PC, we're just talking about the difference between us and like. The way that uh, we function is we kind of like argue to figure out what we think kind of deal. And yeah, I was telling Rhonda, it was like we were like sitting there trying to like go through like what we want to talk about tonight. And we'd get on some other fringe theological topic that has literally nothing to do with anything we plan to talk about tonight. <laughs> and we'd have spent 10 minutes talking about our message and the next 20 would just be us debating Something else that didn't matter at all. Well, and the thing, funny thing is, Norman, I was enjoyed. In the, he was in the uh, room when we were doing it, and he literally goes, basically something along the lines of, is that what you guys always do? And I'm like, yeah, that's how me and Steve function. That, did we it stress just, him out? What? Did it stress him out? Yeah, he, I think so. I, yeah. think, I think he liked it, though. I think the conversation, it's really good, obviously, to like hear the word like preach, but having just a conversation sometimes and, uh, and learning. I, I know we just got off of a collision. We were talking about... Uh, apologetics, and that's like such a dense topic, but here's what I love, and this, I shared this with some leaders earlier, I love the fact that we had some of the most like dense, not really like heartstrings pulled messages, and then at collision, all these people come to the altar just like bawling their eyes off, as if we had like just concocted the most like uh, uh, sentimental message, and what we're up there talking about is like why is morality a part? Why is morality show us that God exists? We're up there talking about all these things that you shouldn't come to the altar for technically. But I love that idea that that theology and what we do, uh, that action and faith, that the way we live our lives and what we think, they're all interconnected with God. It's like one big giant pot. And uh, there's some verbiage for that. And uh, we're going to get into that later. Uh, I think what's funny um, is a lot of people usually have a stigma. They're like, oh, I don't do that, like, deep theology stuff. That's just not me. There's a lot of people I've heard, that's just not me. And uh, I'm not saying that everyone needs to get your PhD and do a doctoral thesis and a dissertation. That's not what I'm saying. But everybody in their own way is a theologian. What that means, uh, you might not fully understand how you're applying it, but you believe in some sense in a, in a theology. You believe in what, uh, uh, what you, how you live your life is your exercising of that belief. And so when we talk terms and we talk things, a lot of people can be like, what's the point in knowing this? Um, really what it is is it's a way for What us they to, hear is they hear like, well, this is what we're going to be talking about today. And yeah, they feel yeah, like, yeah. Blah, 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 they feel like, like you this. need to write a paper but on it. But it's like if you can just let it like sink in a little bit, it's so fascinating because you're ultimately learning about who God is. Yeah. It's not some random fact. And, and I think a lot of the terms, just to kind of like uh, settle your spirit, you know what the terms are there for? All there are is just to draw around something that we know already exists. It's just recognizing something that we already know exists and identifying it so that when I'm talking to someone, I'll be like, oh, that's where they're at. They don't even know, they don't even have a language for where they're at, the philosophy their mind's in. They don't have language for, like, the way their heart posture is. But me being able to study this thing, what it's doing is it's being able to let me draw circles around, this is what this means, and this is what this means. And you don't have to be perfect in every single area of understanding theology, but those things help us determine not only where we're at, but where other people are at in their walk with Christ and 
how they understand it. And so as we get into it, um, let's first, we, when we were at Collision, we, we, we said, here's what apologetics means, and we kind of broke it down. This is theology. It's, it's similar, but it's a little different. Talk us through what theology means. What does that word mean? So the literal word, you actually took more, way more theology classes than I did. So the literal word would be theosology, right? Mm-hmm. God study. Ology. It's like yeah, the, the science of. Ology means study of. the study of, and theos means God. So it's the study of God. But there's like a more nuanced definition. Yeah. That'd be the literal definition. So when we talk about theology, what we're talking about is we're talking about the study of God, but that's the part where I feel like a lot of people, like if you don't put it into perspective, really what's happening, it's easy to like check out and not be super interested. The reality is like when you get to study God, like when you get to actually like look in the face of God, when you get to like try and understand better who he is, how he thinks, what he values, what he wants, it is one of those things that radically begins. It's like what, we were ta- what you were saying where it's like it didn't make sense to maybe come down to the altar because all we were talking about was sort of um, a universal moral law being a signpost yeah. that there is a universal moral lawgiver. But when you recognize, oh my goodness, like, there is so much in just the way God created humans and nature and the world that reveals who he is. It humbles me, yeah. and it brings me to this place of, like, look how small I am. Like, when you just get a glimpse for a, just a second how great and vast and wonderful and awesome he is, it does something in you. The word's clear that no one can see God and live. And, like, that's why we study God, so that that part of us that thinks ourselves capable of doing what uh, Lucifer did, and Ezekiel says that he raised his throne above the throne, he, that he said, I'm going to raise my throne above the God. He thought himself better than God. The study of God, like embracing an understanding of who God is, what it does is it humbles us back to that place of recognizing how small I am, of recognizing if you're that great, if you're that awesome, and I know how trashy I am and have been, like it puts in perspective his glory and it actually backs us down. And so theology, I would say, is the study of God. But in a more like simple turn, it's really just your collection of convictions. And I, I heard a, a, a pastor, a doctor of theology very recently, he was talking about this. He just, he called it really simply. He said, theology, if you're a note taker, and you should. <laughs> That's what our, you remember that? Yeah, you know what yeah, that's yeah. from? Our, uh, our president of our college, every Friday he would preach and he'd go, if you have your Bibles... And you should. And the whole crowd would like clap back. And you should. All right, so we'll try it. If you're taking notes. But one more time. If you're taking notes. And yet you're still not, but that's cool. Uh, Theology (laughs) is. Everyone's like, and you should. (laughs) And they did not move at all. (laughs) That was a really funny image from this side. I know I should. I'm not going to. Theology is just simply the collection of convictions that you have. And I want to take that a step further and then say, like, okay, so then what is a conviction? A conviction is a belief that you hold so strongly to be true that if it were to change, it would change who you are as a person. So we have, this is a good distinction because we have many beliefs, but not all of them are convictions, right? And so I can believe that when we leave this gathering, because of the last state I saw the sun and the weather in, that I can believe that we're going to have an awesome night tonight and have great weather and it's going to be sunny. That is a belief of mine. But if I walk out and it's rainy, I'm going to kind of just be like, yep, that's just kind of how it's been all summer. And I don't really know why, but that's not a deep conviction of my heart. It changes nothing about who I am. 
That's just a belief that turned out not to be true. So we can believe things that don't fundamentally hold who we are. Versus, you and I are both married men at this point. We, we get to say that. About time. We, when we were at Collision, he was, about what did time. you say? I don't remember what I we said, yeah, about. I think my wife has that. And he goes, whoa, that's weird. It was just weird, weird. Jill. It was like, it wasn't, it was great. It but took it was me just like, 29 years. He just years. said it. He's like, that's uh, something about his wife. And I was like, huh, huh. Took me a minute. He's not a little kid anymore. He's not a little kid anymore. Big guy. He's a big <laughs> boy. He and I both. You can just call me fat. <laughs> he and I both have fundamental convictions about our wives. I am fundamentally convicted, convinced that my wife is exclusively romantic with myself. If I were to find out that that belief were wrong, that would fundamentally change something about me. Yeah. Now, I have an amazing wife. Don't everybody, you can all look at her and just for fun of it, but she's amazing. But think about that. Like, that's not a belief. That's not like, hey, I believe Janelle's faithful to me and to no one else. That's not like, yeah, I'm, I'm confident. Like, like, it's gonna be sunny tonight. That is a core conviction of my life at this point. I've built a family upon it. The title to my home, the vehicles, the life I have built is all predicated upon the conviction that I hold that she will be exclusive to me as I am also exclusive to her. And if that were to change, that would change a lot about who I am. And a lot of people, if they found out today that Jesus did not raise from the dead, it would change nothing about who they are. I know of a, uh, a, a psychologist who basically goes, I, and he's not a Christian, he, essentially he says, I'm afraid that God is, is real. And he's like, in between. I'm afraid he's real because that will change everything for the way I live my life. But that's a good theology. That's a really that's good way really, of understanding how belief transitions into yep. conviction. And it's, it's putting God in his rightful place in that situation because I think so many people, they say that they're con that is a conviction of their heart that Jesus is the son of God, born of a virgin, died on a cross for our sins, raised from the dead on the third day, and coming again to rule again. Yep. But if they were to find out any piece of that not to be true, it would be like, well, you know. Yep. What's the stock market doing today? It, it, it would have no fundamental effect on who they are. And we are both people that I can confidently say at this point in our lives, we have come to such a fundamentally deep conviction that Jesus is who he said he was, that the, the historical teachings of Orthodox Christianity, because that's really what we want to talk about tonight, like yep. what the church has historically known to be true and held fast to be true. We have come to these deep convictions that we hold these things so deeply at this point in our lives that if they were to change their meaning in our lives, it would fundamentally change who we are as people. And I think, too, what you can do is you can take this idea when you're conversing with people and they'll be like, oh, I believe in God. You've probably heard that, right? And you're looking at them and you're trying to basically say, I know you understand that he exists. There's a difference between understanding he exists and following him. But this idea, this distinction between belief and convictions that if I believe, if all I need to do is do five push-ups and someone will hand me $1,000, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that five right push-ups, right? I'm going to do it right now. Bet. That's a dumb example. But that will change the way I live my life right yeah. there because I believe that's a conviction now. And a lot of times people believe in something out there that almost doesn't touch, though, the way that they live their life. And in a sense, it's very pagan. Mm -hmm. That's how the pagans lived, where they would actually, they would actually create gods that would allow them to live the way they want to live. Because the deity, the yeah. God, doesn't have any say or doesn't really like touch or 
come into my life. Paul makes fun of that. Or he says, you have an unknown God that you don't even know who it yeah. is. Or it will, uh, he'll only exist when I determine them that he's beneficial to yeah, my I, needs I need at that him. moment. Yeah. Or I'm having a great day, and all of a sudden, yeah, I believe in God. And then you're having a trash day. You're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of this idea when you were talking. Uh, there's this uh, great pastor in the early century, he wrote, uh, his name is A.W. Tozer. He wrote a bunch of books, and one of the things, one of his books was called The Knowledge of the Holy. And the idea was, the second you know more and more about God, it will actually change the way, you actually become holier. Because the knowledge, the heart and the head and the hands, as we talked about collision, the idea that you can just have, just, just head knowledge, and it can't really seep in, uh, isn't something that God really permeates within, within the Bible. Think about this. When it said that Adam okay. knew Eve. Meaning he lay with her? It means that he had an intimate relationship with her. Yeah. And so we always think of... Why do you want me to think about that? I feel like I shouldn't think about that. I'm just saying stuff. Okay. You take me too literally. But the idea is Adam knew Eve. So he had a, yeah. he had a relationship with her. He knew her at a deeper level. And that deeper level came through relationship. Yeah. But it also came through a head understanding. It came through. So a lot of times we, have, we need more sometimes of a head understanding in order to have a more intimate relational understanding. Yeah, I was actually just talking with a young adult today about uh, just this idea that, like, the Holy Spirit, like, his role is to convict the world of righteousness. Like, that's one of the things that the Word says he does. And they were just sort of trying to get understanding on that. But I think it's fascinating because really what he does do is as he convicts you of righteousness, as you better understand the complexity and the goodness and the righteousness of God, you get put in perspective. Like, I get put in my rightful place, and when that happens, there's no other posture outside of pride or humility. Those are your only two options. Once I see him as he truly is, when Isaiah in Isaiah 6 has that moment where he goes, ah, the God shows himself, and he goes, I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. Like, I shouldn't be in this moment right now. His only two options are to go, I'm better than you, and at that point, you're rejected by God, and you have to now prove it, or, oh my goodness, please just don't kill me. So I think that's really a good study of theology is like how not to get killed by God. (laughs) Amen, brother. Maybe that's the new, but that is the stream title, how not to get killed by God. That's a great thumbnail, though. Thumbnail, right now. That's a killer thumbnail. That's slap. Killer thumbnail. So our goal right now is to teach you, according to the word, what it calls is sound doctrine. Yeah. Doctrine is a, uh, is a fancy word, but it's essentially, it's like a boundary line. Like we said, we put, we put uh, boundary lines around terms, around beliefs, because we want to understand, and there are overlapping, it's like a Venn diagram sometimes, but we want to understand, what does that mean when someone says that? What do these words mean? What does this belief mean? Does this belief align with the convictions that I, uh, does my, or do my convictions align with the yeah. beliefs that I say that I have? Yeah. And so... When I read in 2 Timothy 4.3, it says this. Take this in. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says this. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. The idea is we formulate our convictions off of our own ideas, and we formulate the way we live our life your theology, your belief about God, or your belief about what he does or how he exists and how he wants me to move in, uh, in correspondence with him, a lot of these people 
We live in that day right now where they'll find someone to suit their desires instead of desiring to find truth, sound doctrine. That means something stable that I can stand on, a boundary that I can have where I go, this is right and this is wrong. And this idea of sound doctrine, uh, there's another fancy word uh, that, that you've, you just heard Pastor Steve earlier use it. Uh, it's a word called orthodoxy. But say it properly. Say, yeah. it, say it right. Orthodoxy? No, put your glasses oh. down. Orthodox. Orthodoxy. Yeah. Orthodox. 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 Now, if you've ever, it's not like the orthodontist. Like, that's not what he does when he's like. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's not like what he does when he's like uh, organizing his documents, right? It's not orthodox. Like, it, essentially what it means is if I say I am a orthodox, like I exist within the orthodox yeah. Christianity. I exist. That means that I'm drawing a boundary line. Here's what it means to be Christian. Yeah. And inside is the orthodox Christianity. It means you, you're, you're willing to intentionally exist within boundaries of doctrine. Yeah. Like now, one, of, one of my favorite phrases that I think I always want to come back to because you're going to hear us talk now. You're going to explain what orthodoxy is and what those things are historically and those things. But like a phrase that it's one of the early church fathers that I can never remember who it is. You would know if you remember. Say it in a nerdy voice. But he said, in doctrine, unity, in opinion, liberty, in all things, charity. I think it's and, John Wesley. You think it is? That doesn't John sound right, Wesley. but it might be. But the point is, in doctrine, in the things that we're going to say, in the things that we're going to say are doctrinal, doctrinal, mm -hmm. in doctrine, we have to be unified because we cannot all say that we are the same thing. John Wesley. And believe deeply. You're so distracting right now. Wait, while we're distracted. I'm telling him to look it up. Hey, but while we're distracted, can we just like, can we just, guys, you see my shirt? Sometimes the deepest prayer. Just, I like, I rep this. Where's she at? Is she here tonight? It's somebody, I think her name's Brooke. I met her Sunday when she came up to me and handed me this T-shirt that she had made me, and I was so psyched. And I, you heard, I, the minute you read that, you heard it, didn't you? In doctrine, unity. Meaning if we're going to say that we are within the bounds of what he's going to describe as being orthodox Christians, that means our doctrine, the core principles of what it means to be a Christian, those things, we all have to be on the same page. We don't get to have, you don't get to believe that Buddha was the son of God and then everybody else in Christianity believes that Jesus is the son of God and you all call yourself Christians. A, doctrine, a doctrinal belief is that Jesus is the exclusive begotten son of God. So in doctrine, we have to have unity. But then there's other things that, like, what we were arguing about today, what we were arguing about yesterday. Yeah. There's two different things. I don't even remember at this point. Like, in opinion, liberty. Like, Augustine. there's this space for us to just be like, hey, I, I disagree. And then at the end, I feel like we even found common ground. And we were both kind of like, well, I think it's more this, but I think it's more this. But, like, both things had come into doctrinal yeah. unity. The thing that confuses people is they go, where do I, what things do I stand on? And I say, uh-uh, we ain't budging. And what things do I be like, well, that's just the difference. We're just going to, like live as Christians together. Yeah. I've actually seen uh, an example of this uh, where someone was clearly like not, they didn't believe in the Trinity. And there was someone who came to us and there was like, I was having this conversation and it seemed like they really loved God, yeah. but they didn't believe in the Trinity. I tell that story all the time to the young adults of my, my wife's father or uh, uncle who was a Methodist pastor for uh -huh. years. And he had this woman teaching Sunday school for 30 years that he found out later thought the resurrection to be a metaphor. 
and had taught Sunday school in that church for 30 years but didn't believe Jesus ever rose from the dead. And, and, That's and doctrinal. Yeah, and it's important to know where the boundaries are because to someone you might be like, well, they're really passionate about their belief. And it's like, yes, we can be so passionate about the wrong things. And we need to know where that passion maybe can be like, okay, they, let them be passionate. They love Jesus. They genuinely believe in what it means to be a Christian. But they have some other stuff on top of it or, or on the side of it, the fringe stuff that we can disagree on. Uh, but where's the stuff that we have to agree on? That would be orthodox stuff. That would be stuff that it means that I am a Christian. Now, we don't want to confuse you. Uh, there are churches literally called Orthodox churches. Yes, that's true. Okay? That's a good and they do believe different stuff than us. So in their name, you'd be like, it, there's like Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox. These are like denominations. Yeah. Um, it's just like you can drive down the road to see Church of God. Be like, wow, they have of God with them. Like, they're pretty good. Assembly of God, yeah. man. Uh, it's just the name. Uh, but really, when we talk about the term being Orthodox, it means drawing a line and a boundary around it. And a lot of times, even in, even in the early church, this is what people, uh, I think is funny, they'll think like, today, we have more people who are going off of Christianity. And it is true, I believe that it's getting worse, but from the beginning, not only were they facing persecution, the early church, from uh, like outside sources persecuting the Christians, they're also facing internal problems with the church just kind of saying, I'll believe that, whatever they said, whatever they said. And uh, as we were talking, you were talking about Galatians. And uh, Galatians is like a, uh, Galatia is like a region in uh, 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 the, like in the New Testament, in the region. You can actually go there today. Um, but there was all these churches that were kind of going astray. And they were kind of like doing their own thing or they would hear something. They'd first hear from, hear from Paul and be like, that's awesome, bro. And then, like, Paul would leave, and then there'd be some other guy who spoke with some authority, yeah. like, dude, I like what he said. Yeah. And they were going all over the place. And uh, when you brought the scripture up, it really just, like, permeated this idea of, of, uh, of, of living based upon what we know to be true. Here are the boundary lines mm -hmm. as to what we believe. Yeah, the word orthodox or orthodoxy, it, like, quite literally means right opinion or right teaching, or, like, literally, literally straight teaching, meaning, like, it is the right opinion, the right teaching. So Paul comes to them in this moment right into the church in Galatia in the first chapter. Like, he doesn't, like, you'll see in other books where he's, like, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, like, okay, now about the things you wrote, and he, like, spent a bunch of time in the beginning sort of in a preface. He just strikes at their throat, like, Cobra Kai style. Never seen it. It looks dumb. But right in, right in the jugular, right out of the gate, right? Galatians 1.6. I am astonished. <laughs> he's so hardcore. <laughs> I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is verse 1, 6, 1, 7, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, which stuff like that is very fascinating if you fast forward a few hundred years because like the way Islam would actually self-describe its own inception like the way it came about was like basically an angel from heaven delivering this new gospel to a singular messenger which is fascinating if you look back on what was there hundreds and hundreds of years before in Paul's writings he goes I don't care if they even come in angelic form because he knows that the devil masquerades as an angel of light if they come with any other gospel other than the one we preached to you let them be under God's curse 
As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse, pulling zero punches. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He starts sort of defining the doctrinal boundaries yeah. of what it means to be an orthodox. They didn't maybe have that word right then in that moment. But this is orthodox Christianity that he starts talking about. There is one Jesus, and if anyone comes to you with anything else that perverts the way, you, the way he phrases it is really important because he's like, I'm astonished you're turning so quickly who called from the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. I was just having this conversation the other night with Manna because she's like, Dad, what's a gospel? I was like, wow, that's a really good question. But if you break it down into what it simply means, and that word literally just means good news, Paul is like poking at this. He's like, look, if anything else comes along and you make it anyone other than Jesus, or you take the Jesus that actually exists and existed, and you make him something he wasn't, you're turning away to a different gospel, which is really not good news at all. That's not good news. Like, that just means you're going to have to take someone who wasn't now God, and you're going to have to try to earn their affection and their validation when you had all along God himself willing to become man on your behalf to do everything you could not. That's the gospel. That's the intention of the heart of Christ. And when you pervert it, and a lot of these trains of thought, we talked about that at Collision. You gotta, before you get on it, you've got to check the ticket to see where it's going to go. Because there's a lot of trains of thought, even right now. And it was no different back then, like you were saying, in historical Christianity. They started creating the Bible as a whole yeah. because of so many people creating false lies about who Jesus was. The God that we have who really did what he claimed to do, what we know from the historical Christianity, like what he did is the only thing, experience, that actually brings salvation. And when we get on that train without checking the ticket, we don't realize that it's actually taking us off to a different station where it's not Jesus anymore. You can call him whatever you want. It's like how many Muslims I've been to. Like we both talk to him. They're like, well, we both... You know, we're, I believe we, we follow the, Allah. Allah is the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac. I'm like, yeah, but I follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not the same God. And it's not fair to say just because you follow the God of Abraham and Isaac that we follow the same God, even though we can take it a step further. And we would both disagree that we follow the God of Jacob, who became Israel. And that now what that does is it's an argument that they're trying to sort of suck you in with. But if you listen without the right intent, if you don't really distinguish and discern what they're doing, you have just accepted a different Jesus. And that different Jesus creates a different gospel, and that different gospel is not good news. That means hell. That means you have to do everything in your own power. And it's, I think the way Paul like strikes at the heart of the matter very, very succinctly is just, it's just, it's I think too me. that something that, just to speak to the critic maybe uh like just to speak to your mind a little bit if i was like coming in here and i sat down and i heard paul say that i would be like why are you the man to tell me so i just got to do everything that you say are you jesus and i think a lot of times people go why couldn't we just test out all these other religions see which one's true just pick which one we like and uh 
really understanding what's true and what's not true has nothing to do with preference. I think a lot of our world treats it like a meal where it's like, um, like, what do you want to have for tonight? Oh, I'm really feeling Buddhism. You know, that's just kind of like, you know, I'm not really into that Christian stuff. I've literally heard that. I'm not really into that Christian stuff. I don't think that math is not math because I'm not into it or I am into it. It's, it is what it is. I need to conform to it. I need to shape my understanding of reality around what is reality, not what I determine it to be. And if I was sitting here and I was not a Christian, I would immediately go to that, why are you the man? Like, why do you get to say? I think we need to understand from a modern context the uh, ability to have access versus Paul's context, right? The access that people had to understanding all these other world, there was millions probably of little religions that people were making that would eventually spread and die, spread and die. Now we have like a few big ones because we are so interconnected, the smaller ones have eventually kind of gone away. And a lot of times what people would believe is just whoever was the most either uh, 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 charismatic at the time. Uh, I know the Pharisees in the New Testament, they said like, if this is going to, if Jesus is real, essentially you can't stop it because all those other guys who claim to be this and claim to be that, they eventually just, their disciples stopped following them. They stopped being around them. And eventually it just kind of drizzled out. And what Paul is setting up here is not saying Paul's like, I'm the man. But when you read the Bible, it's based off of the teachings of the ones who had been literally with Jesus. They were there with him. So when they're teaching, they're not teaching from a lack of authority. Paul's not just some random dude. He's a man who had a literal encounter with God, probably more uh, uh, intense than most of us would say here. So he knows what he's talking about. He not only was a part of uh, the order of the Pharisees, so he knows the scriptures, but in his writing and in his, uh, and in his uh, uh, spreading of the gospel, what he was doing was not just, he wasn't just setting himself up. He's saying, I was with Jesus. So trust me in saying this, and that in a few hundred years or in 15 years, even, or in five minutes, if you hear something else, remember that I was the one who was with Jesus, that I'm the one surrounded and being affirmed by the other apostles who were with Jesus in, phys uh, in physical form. We know what we're talking about. And I think it's, it's just so funny, like, there's people, like, they'll come to me and they'll start telling me about guitar and, and all this stuff, or they'll start telling us, have you ever had someone tell you about something that you really know the subject on? And they start talking like as if you have, like they'll be like, let me, let me, let me show you, bro. And, and you don't want to be It's pompous. either one of my favorite things ever yeah. or it's my least favorite. It depends yeah. on the person. Like there's definitely moments where it's like, <laughs> I want to kill you right yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. Or it's also like, mm-hmm, uh-huh. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Paul, Paul in this moment is saying, listen, in a non, I mean, he, he's saying in a harsh way. He but has he's a saying, confidence Listen in Christ, to though, me. Yeah. I was there. Okay? Yeah. I, I, I came from that place. I know all the people who are with him. I'm the authority in this subject. And so if uh, the critic can look at this and be like, why does Paul get to say it? Because he was there. You weren't. You, you didn't. I, I don't know of any of you who was physically with Jesus like that, who was going around killing Christians and seeing how the 
it was spreading in the New Testament church, we weren't, so we model ourselves off of that. Doesn't mean we can't have great encounters like Paul. Doesn't mean we can't do it, but we model off of the people who were with him in person, especially, and Paul especially, was with him when they saw him on the road to Damascus. And especially people who, like, if you haven't listened to Pastor Dave's message, if you, for, for instance, weren't at Collision, go back and listen to that. Because, yes, it's eyewitness testimony that we base anything historical on. Yes. Anything historical, we have to found, found it in the people that were there and what they perceived, especially when their, their, uh, their perception of what happened all concur and everyone actually has overlapping experiences to the point that you could actually reconstruct something, that's extremely powerful. The Bible is the most reconstructed from eyewitness, like concrete. There's not, there's not another piece of literature on the planet that even touches it. But then you take it a step further that all of these people willingly died. Like, it wasn't just Paul's eyewitness testimony that converted him from being a killer of Christians to a Christian. It took him from that to then now we can actually look at his life knowing that he willingly gave his life up. And there's just, like, to the skeptic in you or the skeptic in the conversation, or maybe you're, you're new tonight and, like, you, you're maybe not a follower of Jesus, like, you need to understand that there is great power in not only people who were there over your experience not being there, but they were so there and so experienced something so incredible, they gave their lives for it. Paul was willing to die for his belief. And essentially the idea is, are you? And so when we want to draw these boundary lines around beliefs, with the Christians in the early church, what they started realizing, and I love church history. It's like my favorite thing in the world. And I will be a proponent to say church history is metal. It's awesome. Like, dude, it is so wicked cool. These guys did. Polycarp. It's believed that uh, he's one of uh, the disciples of John the Apostle, the guy who wrote Revelation or who wrote the book of John, right? One of his disciples, so the, one of the people who followed John, who, who followed Jesus, they say that he was burned at the stake as a martyr, but the Lord protected him, and he wasn't burned. He's standing there literally just, burning. No eyebrows, and he's no just facial like, hair. He's like no standing hair. there like, so they, I think they had to behead him or something like that because he wouldn't burn up That's so in hardcore. order for him to be a martyr. These guys are oh, metal, bro. They're like, make church history cool again. I'm telling you, it's so sick. It's awesome, for real, because like the way that they live their life, I, mm, don't cry, don't cry. I read them, and it's like dense stuff. I'm not saying it's not dense stuff. It's, sometimes it's like, bro, you just said that 800 times. Just say it once. I get it. I get it. I understand but the way they loved Jesus, holy smokes. You don't hear anyone talk like that. Uh, Ignatius, he's, a, he's, another, he's friends with Polycarp. He's another follower of John. He basically said, if they start trying to kill me, don't stop them. Because I want to suffer and I want to be a martyr for Christ. If they throw me in the lion's den, don't try to get me out. If they throw me in the pit in the Colosseum, don't try to get me out. Let me do my thing. Okay? I, I, like that's some hardcore stuff. So when I read these guys, they were so close to Jesus, man. It was, it's just an amazing, not only just a testimony, but it inspires me to live my life. So these early church uh, fathers, what they were doing is they were not only living for Jesus, they were trying to spread the gospel. Well, we live in a modern context where when we spread the gospel, everyone usually is on the same page. Here's the same page. Most of us can read. Most of us speak the same language. Most of us have some sort of technology. They didn't have that. Most people couldn't read. So when they're writing the scriptures and when they're putting things together, a lot of people in those small regions spoke various uh, 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 languages. 
and the, the language uh, like centers were much closer together. So you would see that they would cross barriers and there'd be many languages that they'd be encountering. Languages are much smaller. They were a lot less broad than they are today. They didn't have Google Translate. And so in order for them to be able to not only spread the gospel, uh, but to teach people sound doctrine, they started being, okay, well, we got to make a way for it to be easy so that people can understand. Because Christianity is not just a, 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 like a scholar's religion. It has to be something that people can understand. So they started developing something that they call a creed. Now, a creed was a short... Can you take me higher? I'm sorry. You were in the middle of this. I just couldn't resist. No, it's good. Only the only like I resisted gets earlier that. saying that. Did poly- get that joke? Who's not in progression? Okay, some yeah. they raised their, your progression. That doesn't count. Yeah. You raise your hands. You're like I get it. All right. I resisted earlier saying that Polycarp is Latin for many fish, but <laughs> I couldn't resist funny. the Crete joke. And I technically didn't resist that one either. I'm gonna turn my mic off. You can just funny. mute me if you want. So they started developing these creeds. It was like a it was like a phrase that people would memorize. So when you come into church, uh, and they didn't have a you know, a killer band, they'd say these creeds together. And they'd say them, they'd actually say them to like music. It was like, and the father said, you know, you know, we see that now we're like dog, but that's how they remembered it. That's how they were learned. It's like when you were in school and you're trying to learn the days of the week, like man is learning days of the week, days of the week. See, you all know it. You all immediately started snapping because there's something in music that allows that remembrance. And what happened was, uh, there was these like other people who were kind of doing their own thing outside of Christianity, outside of the boundaries, outside of the Orthodox. They were doing their own thing and they would write cool songs and they would like sing them and they'd write cool creeds and they'd sing them. And people started being like, yo, that song's killer, dude, play that at church. But when you looked at the theology behind it, they'd be like, this is not what we believe. But the problem was it was seeping into the culture. That's it's a separate subject, but that's why I believe it's so important that us as a church, we not only put out music, we not only are putting out things in the culture, because our culture uh, doesn't really look up to politicians. We look up to entertainment. Uh, we look up to people in media. We look up to people who has that funniest podcast. Those are the people we usually model our life after. And it wasn't just us then. It was then them. Like, back in the day, they would, they would hear these songs. They'd be like, this is awesome. This is awesome. So what they did was they're like, yo, we need to gather everybody. Now, not just like, not just like our church. We need to gather everybody together. And they gathered in what they called the ecumenical council, okay? Big word. You don't need to know it. You just need to know that meant that every church was like, we pulling up, we finna represent, we're all going to be together, okay? Knights of the round table style. And they all gathered together. They said, we need to know where the boundaries are so that homeboy can't make a song Homeboy can't just make whatever he wants, and everyone's like, oh, that's catchy, dude. I like that, and start singing it, and then we're teaching our people not sound doctrine. We're teaching, it's not even Christianity anymore. It's a whole nother gospel, and so they developed what we use as, it's called the Nicene Creed, and that creed, uh, we're actually going to read it. We're going to kind of like break it down. That creed they developed so that people could memorize, and it's so funny. We've actually sung part of this creed. If you've ever sung it with us, like, I believe in God, I finally, I believe in Christ Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we've sung that, right? That song is built off of this creed. A, a song, basically, this song was sung for thousands of years, teaching people, 
Here's the boundaries of what it means to follow Christ. And so I want to break this down. Uh, the Nicene Creed, we're going to read it, okay? So put your thinking caps on, right? Ready? Y'all with me? Here we go. It says this, we believe in one God. That's very important. Who are they speaking to? They're speaking to all the, the people who believe in polytheism, more than one God. They're speaking to them. We believe in one God. Then he breaks it down from there. They break it down from there. The Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, so they go, here's the Father. You can see the Trinity already. The Father, we believe in him. And we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father, from John 3, 16, before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. What they're saying in this moment is they're saying that uh, Jesus, he was sent by the Father, but just because he was sent doesn't mean he wasn't God. He was God. God from God, light from light, one true God, true God. And you even, like, if I can just jump in, what you start seeing is a lot of their language is intentionally directed at heresies of the day. Things that they were Lies that people were perpetuating in the day, which one of the most popular ones was essentially trying to strip Jesus's divinity. That, like, Jesus was not God. So you see them getting together and getting circles around sound doctrine about what they know of God from the, or Jesus from the people who walked Uh with him. Begotten, where he's saying is right here, begotten, comma, not made. No one made Jesus, right? He wasn't, he wasn't born. Begotten means of the same stuff. We're of the same thing. So if my, I'm begotten of my father, that means I'm a criner or creener, however you pronounce it, right? Creener. Begotten, you're a Christ, right? You're of the same stuff. You are different, but you're the same thing. They're saying you can't be of the same thing as God and not be God. You yeah. have to be God. So begotten, not made, of the same essence as the father. Through him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. So now we start seeing they're laying out, here's the story of Jesus. He he was crucified under us, for us, under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. They're they're pointing to the idea that Jesus, oh, well, Jesus, he he wasn't even on the cross. No, Jesus was on the cross. Mm -hmm. He suffered. Okay, well, Jesus never, uh, he was on the cross, but he died. Or he, uh, or sorry, he was on the cross, but they took him off. Nope, he suffered, and he was buried. The third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. They will come again, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. Now, we transition to the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. That phrase was a little bit debated. We can get more into that in the live streams. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. So they're saying the Holy Spirit, he's not just this weird other piece that we don't talk about. He's worshipped and he's glorified. He's God as well. He spoke through the prophets. Then here's the part that might catch some of you up, and I want to explain it. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I saw some heads be like, what? What's he talking about? So the word Catholic, very interestingly just like we broke down the word orthodox, Catholic just means universal. Mm-hmm. So it means all the church. So when we talk about the Catholic church and having a, a Catholic church, those are two different things. So when they're saying we believe in one holy Catholic church, what that means is it doesn't, it doesn't mean what our modern mind thinks Catholic church. When we think of Catholic church, 
We think of like the guy in like the big pointy hat and like the robes, you know what I'm saying? He was like walking down with the smoke, right? I think yeah. That was my first Catholic yeah. funeral experience. Away from I was holy very water. confused. You think like holy water, like Just trying to figure out sprinkling what was babies going on. and stuff, right? A lot of water, a lot of smoke. That's what we think of. Uh, in this day, when they said holy Catholic church, they meant literally the capital C church. How we have our church, but we would say there's the church worldwide. The How we'd say the kingdom just, is greater than the house. Yes. So they would say we believe in one church, the worldwide church, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and an apostolic church. Apostolic means we're following the people who originally followed Jesus. We're not just making this up on our own. We didn't just do this on our own. We're not just like thinking of this stuff right now. We're basing this off of what the apostles saw, what they wrote. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm the baptism for forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead. That's fire. And to life in the world to come. Amen. That's powerful. Now you might be like, oh, that's like a bunch of, like, it's a bunch of things. But this creed for thousands of years has helped people determine where those boundary lines are. And that's so important because if we don't know where those boundaries lines are, we get to kind of decide our own mm -hmm. sometimes. And, and what they're saying is, no, we're, we're going to make sure that these people who believe something opposite than this, or maybe they say they believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in God. Even my convictions are for God, but they don't actually listen to what this is. This is a, a summary of the gospel. This is a summary of the Bible for us to be able to understand and live out our life as Christ followers. G.K. Chesterton, one of the, like, the most sort of famous theologians. You've read way more than I have, but yeah. every time I come across a quote, it kills me. Like it just, it's like Tozer. He just cuts you to the heart. Like he, he says when in, in a book called Orthodoxy, right? Like he, when he's speaking of orthodoxy, he literally just says orthodoxy is the Apostles' Creed, which is really the Nicene Creed is sort of the, the, the summary of the Apostles' Creed. He breaks it down really simply into like if I'm going to call myself an orthodox Christian, these are the th things that I must believe. Yeah. And I think this takes me back to like I think maybe we can even just like breathe for a second. Like this starts becoming really Jesus. Amen. This starts becoming really nerve-wracking, I think, for a modern, no, postmodern culture, meaning the postmodern world that all of you grew up in has come to the understanding that God is no longer necessary to explain X, Y, and Z. That is sort of the definition of postmodernism is that if we just sort of deconstruct language enough, we recognize that language is just used to hold people captive and God was one of the ways that we sort of did that in subjecting people under oppressive regimes. You've heard it all if you've been on TikTok. Patriarchy. The, the, yes, the patriarchy. Like, if you've been on TikTok for 0.5 seconds, you've seen something along these lines. Like, we are, you are growing up. You have lived probably most of your whole life in what would be deemed by philosophers and sociologists as a postmodern culture. And so for us, to a postmodern mind, even if you're trying your best to understand Orthodox Christianity and to follow the real Jesus, to not let anyone cut in on you and give you a different Jesus that leads you to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. I just want to like go back to kind of what I even talked about at Collision, this uncomfortability that we have with exclusivity. There is this thing in us that it starts to feel like you were saying, like, well, why does Paul get to define it? Like, why, like okay, we can read through 
the Nicene Creed, but like, why, 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 why does this have to be the boundary lines? I just want to encourage you guys, like the important, maybe we can just like talk about this for a second. I know it's not entirely what's in the notes, but like, why is it so important to like allow yourself boundary lines? Like, why is it so important? Like, we're starting to see a deconstruction. If you just take marriage, we're starting to see a deconstruction and a devaluing of what marriage is and what it means to be. So you know what comes from that is people stop getting married. And when people stop getting married, children stop being able to grow up in uh, two-parent households where both genders are present to present what they biologically bring in their differences. And even if they do, it's kind of like, well, we're going to be in the marriage for as long as I want to be in the marriage. And then, right, you see the devaluing and the deconstruction of that. And what happens is when marriage loses its value, people begin growing up in situations that are devoid of the opportunities they were supposed to be afforded. Like, my children are supposed to be afforded, barring my death or my wife's death. Everything that I present to them as a father and everything she presents to them as a mother. Everything that is innate and natural and matronly and compassionate and sensitive and gentle from her and everything in me that is like tossing them on the beanbag upside down and hanging them upside down in front of my eyes from their ham hocks, and I got them two free power wheels like a John Deere tractor today on Facebook Marketplace, and I'm stoked about it because I'm going to hook it up to Ryobi batteries, and it's going to send in the backyard. Like everything that I bring that she wouldn't becomes necessary. And when you look through something like this creed, and you start allowing it to get broken down into sort of like, well, like, I, I'm going to mix and match. Like you were saying, it becomes preferential. It becomes almost food-esque. It becomes like an a la carte menu. What it does is you're no longer talking about Christianity. And a lot of people in a postmodern mindset, culture, especially you who, who use scrolling mediums a lot. And what I mean by that is there is a difference between using as bad as like Netflix and YouTube and all of those things can be. You're subscribed to people on YouTube that you looked for. You like searched them out for the most part. TikTok's not like that. TikTok, you accidentally found them by just doing this. Reels, you just found them by just doing this for an hour and a half. And suddenly you have a bunch of things that it's presenting you that you weren't even looking for. And the culture that we're ultimately living in now, because it's been constructed around the idea that God is no longer necessary. Like Nietzsche said, like, God is dead. If we can just start with that presupposition and just, you're good with that, right? God is dead. Okay, then let's talk about the real, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're starting from that place. Most of you were raised from that place of just the assumption that that's not a necessary part of your life. What happens is when you start trying to understand historical Christianity, and I want to, like, hard plug this series. I don't know why this is making me emotional. Like I get emotional about he, the He was just, like, walking me through, like, his live stream presentation. Because this, this series is from Pastor Tyler and Pastor Dave's heart. But Pastor Tyler, like, has been burning for this. Like, this is really something God put on his heart. And I want to encourage you guys to tune in. Because he was just walking me through, like, just, like, his kind of, like, his keynote, like, his presentation of how he's going to do it. And it's fire, and it's, like, super well-designed, and it's super technically cool, but just, like, his heart to, like, systematically, step-by-step, walk you through what it means to be an Orthodox Christian. Guys, it's so valuable right now because someone else, if he doesn't, if we don't, if you don't understand that from the place of the Bible and the historical records surrounding the time of the Bible, if you don't know that, 
it's going to become very, very easy for someone to come in and very quickly, very simply present to you something that sounds right enough, and you won't realize that they just gave you a different Jesus. And if it's a different Jesus, it's a different gospel. And if it's a different gospel, it's no gospel at all. And it's really, really important. Like, I, I, I want to, like, hard plug this, that, like, you tune in every single time. These are live streams, right? Once a month. Once yeah. a month. He's going to be live streaming Threat Level Theology, walking you through some, some of the most core foundational things it means to be a Christian because you need to recognize that uh, if there's boundaries set up and you're playing a sport and there's lines and you're standing outside the lines when you shoot the basketball, does it matter if it went in the net or not? If your feet were planted outside the boundaries, what you're capable of doing with your talents becomes irrelevant. Oh. And a lot of people think that as long as I'm capable of getting the ball eventually, and that's sort of something I think we'll talk about, just all paths eventually lead, if I can just get the ball into the net, we'll be good. No, because there's some foundational things that it means to be a Christian, a Christian, that if I disagree with those things, if I do not hold them to be core convictions of my heart, Matthew 7, Jesus has this moment where he says, look, many are going to come to me on that day and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy in your names? Did we not get the ball in the net? He's going to go, I'm sorry. I didn't know you. I'm sorry. You did the things. You, you did do the things, but you were standing outside the boundaries. And I was really clear about what the boundaries are. And I know sometimes this can be a little bit kind of like, well, this is, this is boring yeah. or it's not interesting. Like, it's important because the effect that it has on your life is the capacity to teach you a different Jesus and a different gospel, which is no gospel at I all. I think, too, people think that, remember, we talk about how knowledge affects the way we live our lives. People think that if I, so, so what happens, what's the problem if someone believes that Jesus was created? They still love him. Yeah. What's the problem? How does that affect your life? Yeah. And we forget to see uh, how that that is such a deep, deep, deep belief. If we remove that belief, we remove the fact that God came as a human. So now it's just some random crony that, that was sent or maybe a son. It's almost like God's totally separate. He's not going to get his paws involved. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm not going to do it myself. I'm just going to send my son. That makes it seem way worse. Uh, and then on top of it, the way we present ourselves to Jesus, the way we present ourselves to God our church would not function the same. We wouldn't be a church, first of all. But if, but if you'd believe something totally different, you start, re you start seeing the way that it functions, the way that it functions, uh, or the way that uh, your belief transitions into the way you function as believers. Yeah. And uh, you can even see this within the church. So some churches put emphasis, we would call emphases or tensions, they put it on certain things uh, more than others, and that's what can lead churches astray, where they don't, take the boundary lines and understand those boundary lines. They make the edge of the boundary line the most important thing, and they kind of build their whole theology around that instead of the theology that they set up for the apostles in the Nicene Creed. The creeds were there, uh, and you ask the question, like, why should I listen to this? This is a summary for illiterate people of the Bible. Hmm. I'm not saying we don't believe this, but you are literate. You can read the Bible. This is a, a succinct belief and I think what's amazing is we are blessed in a modern society yeah. where much has been given, much is required. We're blessed with the ability to read. We're blessed yeah. with the ability to study. Like, can you imagine how many early Christians would be foaming at the mouth yeah. for the ability to sit down with all the writings that you have in your hand and to just take in, wow, 
this is what we believe. And be able to take in not just like, oh, it's just what some random dude said. If you believe that this, that this creed is just some guy sitting making this up, and it's not backed by thousands of people and years and years of, of, of uh, gathering knowledge and gathering understanding about God and seeing the way God works, you're very mistaken. You're very mistaken. Now, I think in, in a lot of uh, churches, the idea of like tradition is a bad thing. Like, we are not, no, we're non-traditional. Uh, I think that that is a true statement. I think that you can have traditions that can eventually yeah. become bad, very bad. But when you look at it, we base everything off of some guy 2,000 years ago and what they said and how he lived his yeah. life. That's old school right there. It's a tradition for us that tradition. we teach from the Bible every week. Yes. That is a tradition if tradition you want to break it down that way. It is not bad. It's important. It's not bad. Yeah. And so... I always imagine this. I literally imagine as if uh, uh, a lot of people say this. Why do we lay on hands of people? Think about this. There is in there from Jesus when he laid his hands on people, they laid their hands on people, and they laid hands on people, hands on people, hands on people, hands, hands, hands. Till eventually, one of us laid our hands on you. Hmm. There is a string all the way back to Jesus. What you're involved cool. in, this team that That's you're cool. involved in. You have, you've been on the same team since the time of Jesus. And that just, like, makes me feel like just, like, I'm walking in with this, like, posse. You know what I mean? This spiritual posse. Where, and so I'm not doing this on my own. And I think that a lot of people, they, they like to do their theology on their own. They like to do their, uh, their thinking in a corner. They like to do their uh, understanding based upon them and this guy on reels who seems very authoritative. And they're doing it on their own instead of God never intended you to do theology on your own. Yeah. He intended for us to do it in community. And the laying out of hands is just string all the way back to Jesus. That's cool. And so when we gather together and we hold fast, we say, we are Christians. We're going to hold fast to this belief. This, these are important. This will affect the way we live. These beliefs will eventually uh, digest and uh, gestate into convictions. And these convictions mm -hmm. will move us towards God. Mm -hmm. It will move us towards God. We can believe that. Now, in the early church, they were facing these things that uh, people were not believing. Uh, I'll just name a few. You don't need to know them, but just so we know what we're talking about, Gnosticism is one of the beliefs that was very early on in the church. You can actually see in uh, the New Testament, people were, you could see the hints of Paul kind of talking against Gnosticism. He's saying, no, the flesh is not bad, right? Uh, you don't listen to the flesh, but Jesus came as flesh, right? Uh, there are other beliefs uh, we talked about earlier, why this creed came up called Arianism. These beliefs were, mm -hmm. were starting to come about, and we see that today a lot of the same problems that people have or a lot of the same incorrect beliefs, I think, I can't remember exactly how the analogy you used, but it's essentially the same stuff. The devil doesn't have any new tricks. Yeah. He just dresses them up different. It's like the things that people were struggling with back then essentially is the exact same stuff they're struggling with now. Maybe we're just, we have more people, so it's a bigger scale or it's just used differently. Yeah. It's, the same, it's the same weapon, it's just, it's different skins if you've ever played Call of Duty, right? <laughs> just different skins. And, uh, and we're gonna break down just a few, uh, and then we'll, we'll obviously get out of here, we'll have a great time with like spike ball, but I think before we not just draw the boundary lines, but we also point to the ones that are saying they're within the boundary lines that aren't. And so just to start, uh, here's one of the things that, one of the, we would call them isms, because they end in ism, uh, that is really permeating our world today. It's called universalism. 
This idea is the belief that all paths eventually lead to the God of the Bible. That why couldn't uh, Muslims also believe and eventually make it to heaven? That anyone, even though they might not believe the correct thing, eventually will get the reward. And uh, this one I feel like is the most illogical. It's just kind of like not even trying. This is kind of just making, this is just to make people feel good. And remember, we said this at Collision, we don't do this to make people feel good. We do this because it's true. And what's awesome is God cares about how you feel. So that's what, that's really awesome. That's balling, like it's fire, that he cares about what you feel. But that's not the purpose of why we believe it. And so the purpose. It makes them feel good because it's the most inclusive. It's the most sort of that postmodern thought of like, Letting everyone be a part of it, not hurting anybody's feelings, and everyone gets participation trophies. And yeah, and this idea—it's called universalism. It's like people will be like, "Oh, you know, yeah, I believe in—I believe in Jesus, but I think that the Muslim brother can also get to heaven." And uh, for those people, they usually are people who just—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm in non-mean way. I don't want to like put people down. I'm just thinking you just not—you're not really reading anything. You're just kind of making up something that you think makes you feel the best in that moment. It's, it's an illogical, uh, uh, it's a fallacy in, 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 in its essence. It doesn't really take the idea of what the gospel, what Jesus says, but it also doesn't take the idea of what uh, Islam might say or these other religions might say in opposition when they say theirs is the way. If you have five people who say, no, this is what's right, I saw this, and they're like, no, I saw completely different. One of them has to be right. You can't just be like, you all saw you know, your own thing. You also your own truth. You also, you have your own way. And uh, they're all the same. And they're not. And this is, a, this is a belief. It's called universalism. That everyone eventually will get to the path of Christ. I think that that could be a problem. And uh, that's something that a lot of people today will struggle with. Another one, I don't know if you want to hop in, uh, is called naturalism. You're doing great. Naturalism. Naturalism is the belief that uh, or another way to call it is like materialism. The, that the only thing that exists is what's in nature. So if I believe in the natural world, that's awesome. But that's all that there is. There's nothing more. There's nothing above it or metaphysical. It's just nature. The thing about this, and this is kind of what I talked about at Collision, was it's not just that nature exists or that they even believe nature exists. What's so funny is they act as if though there's something else that exists without saying it. They have a belief in only nature, but their conviction is there's something more. And the reason is there's something more is because there's a moral law guiding us. And the, the offshoot of this that we see really prevalent right now is scientism. It's just sort of the yeah. belief that, like, essentially science has become a religion. It's like everything can be explained by science except where science came from and what happens after science is done, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of what we were talking about in, in my messages. It lacks an origin story because they go, okay, the Big Bang, but like how, why, where did that come from? Yeah, and we don't just exist as people who are. We exist as people, what do you guys think about? What am I going to go to college? That's someone who yeah. is thinking about what you should do. And you would do that even if you, atheists do that. Where should I go today? Should you go? That's something that's beyond science. That's something that's beyond the natural world. That's something that you're projecting yourself into the future. What's beyond the Big Bang? What's in a black hole? Infinite time and space. Well, infinite time. So there's something beyond this world, beyond nature. When we talk about the supernatural, 
we're talking about something that is existing above nature. That doesn't mean that it can't exist. It just means that it's beyond the world and the universe that we live in. And we know the universe, science knows the universe hasn't been around for forever. So where did it come from? That's the idea of naturalism. Uh, I think that, like we said, uh, or I said at Collision, uh, I think Christians, when you really look at Christian thinkers, they think deeper. They think the deepest because we think even beyond just the natural world. Yeah. We go into deeper realms than that. Then one you've heard of a lot is atheism. We talked about this. A, uh, meaning the belief without theism, meaning God. So a lack of belief in God. And this, we talked a lot about it, collision, so I don't want to get into that. But this is a lot of times uh, either where a lot of people start or where they end up. But the road mm -hmm. to get them through that is a word called, or is a belief called agnosticism. This belief is the lack of knowledge of the universal truths beyond us. So what it means is, uh, I don't know. I don't think there's enough evidence to fully make a decision. Uh, if, you're, if someone's an agnostic, they're like, I believe there could be something, but there's just really not enough evidence, or I don't know. A, meanings with, meaning without, and gnostic is the word uh, for knowledge. Mm -hmm. So without knowledge is an agnostic. Sort of the poor man's atheist. Yeah. Sort of the yes. lazy way to go. Like I don't really want to decide. The thing, so. the thing that the kind of the I don't want to say gripe. I don't have a gripe with people. I have a gripe with ideologies and the things that they believe. And so when I kind of like make fun of it, I'm not making fun of people. But it's just so funny to me that uh, I was talking to someone. I'm just like, man, everyone knows for a fact what they want to eat. Everyone knows for a fact what their favorite team is. Everyone knows for a fact that they are going to wake up tomorrow in their mind. Everyone knows these things. They don't question them. Uh, and these are the most trivial questions you can ask. Everyone knows for a fact that, someone's, that someone looks this way or doesn't. We know these things for a fact. And what they'll do is most agnostics, not all, but most agnostics are usually, they, they use the, the phrase, I don't know, in uh, exchange for the phrase, I don't care. Basically saying, I don't care to know. It's not important enough for me and my time schedule to know the reason why I'm here and where I'm going. Most people who say that or usually believe this, uh, I would, like you said, it's the lazy, it's the poor man's atheist. It's the Walmart brand of atheism. We got like, atheism at home. Yeah, yes. And it's, you're not saying, Thank you. you're, you're saying, listen, God might be real, but I'm not going to let that belief turn into convictions. Yeah. You're also going to say, God might not be real, but I'm not going to let that belief turn into convictions. And in, in essence, when you're uh, an agnostic, you're God. Because you're saying, I'm going to decide what I think is true based on my preference. And, 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 and I wish that uh, if God was real, he would just you know, spell it out a little bit easier. Well, I wish everything was easier. It's not, right? Like taxes are just awfully hard. They're terrible. I still don't understand what I'm doing, dude, half the time. You're married now. Yeah. You don't have to. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, I, don't I don't know. know what I'm, I wish it was easier, but it doesn't make it less true just because it's not easy to understand. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people, I've heard this before, reincarnation just makes more sense. It's not about what makes sense. It's not about what's easier to wrap your head around. You might be a dummy. You might literally be a dummy. <laughs> it doesn't make it true. Like, I can't go to a physicist and be like, listen, I don't know about this physics stuff. It just doesn't make sense to me. It must not be true. He's going to look at me and be like, you're dumb. <laughs> it's not about whether or not, well, this one just seems, why couldn't the gospel, why couldn't God be more simple? I don't know. Why are you so complicated all the time? Right? Why couldn't you make simple? I'm talking to you. You know who I'm talking all about. All the ladies right? in the room say amen. We make things complicated. 
and the world is complicated. Why would I ask God to be simple for my little pea-sized brain? That doesn't make any sense. And one we were talking about as well, not just agnosticism, but we know this term Buddhism. And uh, uh, explain a little bit of that, and then I have like a spinoff that I think people in the modern age, and especially in like America, will kind of like take a spin off that idea. Buddhism is one of those things that you see infiltrating a lot in the West into various other religions, but also just sort of the acceptance of the idea. It's really just this idea that it's like, like every other religion, it's my works that merit me something. And so karmic debt, meaning I have karma, I owe karma something because the way I lived poorly in this life or maybe in a previous life. And so if I don't pay off my karmic debt, when I get reborn, I get reborn as a grasshopper that gets stepped on immediately because I didn't pay off my debt to karma. Like, and I just basically do that until I reach nirvana, like until I reach oneness with the universe. And the only way to do that is through, in Buddhism and Hinduism would share this uh, together, they would share what they call the four noble truths and the eightfold path, meaning there's four specific truths I have to hold to, and there's an, a large eightfold specific set of systems and steps that I have to live through. And it all just boils down to, like, I have to do certain specific things, and if I don't, then I get raked over the coals when I get reborn yeah. because life will start over My worse for me than it is My points go down. Now. Yeah. And it's like a points-based system. You get – you become – C tier, D tier, E tier, and if I can just work my way up, eventually I yeah. hit S tier, and then I hit Nirvana, and I'm one with the universe. I think that uh, what I was saying is a, a, how Buddhism is like an actual belief. It's infiltrated our modern society where people will say they believe in Jesus, but they really kind of have this Buddhist undertone. I love a, 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 a theologian. He says it's like Christian Buddhism, essentially, and I actually talked to a guy just a little bit ago. He's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I just got to do the right thing, and then you know, you know, then he'll reward me. And there are rewards in heaven. I'm, there's not, it's like, of course there is, but we exist in a relationship with God in a father-son relationship when you enter into Christ. So much so that he paid for your whole thing. He paid for your way in. So there, there's nothing that you can add on that could get that ticket any freer. Any, like, you're, you're paying for that ticket. It's like when you go out with someone to lunch, they're like, I'm paying. There's nothing you can add to that to make that payment of theirs freer or less freer. And when I can't get myself closer to God by the things I do, the things I do come out of the experience that I have with Christ, the faith I had with Christ. So I, as I was listening to him, I said, I said, this, you know, Christianity is not Buddhism where this, it's karma. So if I do a good thing, a good thing happens to me. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says God reigns on the just and the unjust. He's saying it won't make sense to you. It's not if I do a good thing, good things will happen. Now, sometimes God rewards, but a lot of times there's suffering we have to go through. But in the end, the reward is God. He's the reward. It's not that I can just level up and I can get all these, like, spiritual tokens for those who are still just mad that you lost collision tokens, right? It's not that I can get these spiritual tokens. It's that I get God. He's the one I get. He's the reward. And with that, everything else that I get, you know, that's cool. Like the mansion in heaven. I believe like the mansion in heaven, that's going to be that's gonna be pretty sweet. But compared to me being in the presence of God consistently, wow, there's nothing cooler. So we draw these boundary lines for a reason. And, and, and as we dive into these theological things, these, these thought processes, our goal isn't to make them always so easy that you understand every single thing we're saying. 
Our goal is to actually bring that a little bit above what you think so that you have a place to climb and you can understand that uh, the Bible is much deeper than you even know. And it's still, every time I'm like, I didn't know that. Wow, that's crazy. Wow, I didn't know they've literally been talking about this idea that I discovered in the Bible for thousands of years. Yeah. There's there's hundreds and hundreds of books written on this topic. I was just looking up the image of God, the Imago Dei, right? And I'm looking at all these books these people wrote just on a few scriptures of people talking and pouring out what they believe about what the wow. That's crazy. People have been talking about it for a long time. We're not the first. We're just gonna dive in with them and be a part of this journey with them together. And I think it's amazing because as we draw these boundary lines, we can see where the real thing is and where the counterfeit thing is. I was literally like in my truck today just listening to like a, a lecture on historical Christian heresies. And I started bawling, like literally started weeping because it was just like, it was so simply purely the reverse side of it was being explained of just how beautiful Jesus is like just how amazing God is why would you want to have anything why would you want anything other than that like it, it reminds me do you have any cash can we do this do you have any cash on you I had this we I one time knew a uh, I'll take anything I once I one time knew a, a missionary what do you need what do you got we got money bags ones fives give me 20s. the you got a 20 give me the 20 I one time knew a, a missionary. Well, if he's offering it, I'm going to take it. A missionary whose wife worked for years. She worked at a bank. And it was really a fascinating story because I love you, Alex. You know that? Do you want this? He's like, sure. This is how much I actually love you. Come here. See, she worked at a bank. For years, what they what they forced her to do, you can have that. That's all yours. They forced her to make sure that she could recognize counterfeit money. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it says copy money on it. It's prop money. It's fake. I got it from Island. Just had him put it in his pocket. It's worth nothing. But I still love, I do love you. Like, that was real. Do you still feel that? Do I, is it still as valuable? No? Okay. That was really interesting, the way that they taught her to recognize counterfeit bills was not by studying counterfeit bills. Because if you think about it, there's only one real bill. There's only one way to make a real 20. There's 50 different ways to make a fake 20. There's 50 different things you could get wrong. It could be on the wrong paper. It could be on the wrong ink. It could be the wrong color. It could have the wrong seal in the wrong spot. It could have the wrong words. It could have the wrong little, you know, metallic line, right? There's a million ways. So what I notice a lot of people end up doing is they end up trying to answer somebody's question who asked about some counterfeit by studying counterfeits. And it's so overwhelming because you have to fill yourself with so much useless knowledge that ultimately just degrades your soul. That like the way we have experienced Jesus, the only way to know a fake is to know the real. Like, we could sit here and we could go, okay, well, this is how you answer this question about Buddhism, and this is how you answer this question about Hinduism, and this is how you answer this question about pluralism, and this is the difference between pluralism and universalism. And by that point, you'd be so bored that you wouldn't have actually retained anything, and what they'd end up asking you about isn't something you thought to ask us because it wasn't on your radar yet. 
But at a certain point, I had an encounter with a real person. Like a real being, a real individual, and it really changed me in real ways. And it gave me a thirst to know why it was real and why it was so different from other things. It gave me a thirst to understand the lies that other people lived under because I wanted to better understand the lies that I had lived under for years. But it wasn't in studying the counterfeit that I better understood Jesus. It was allowing myself to better know Jesus that I better knew Jesus. Like if you look, if we go back to that scripture together, Galatians 1. Actually, Alex, grab that Bible. Galatians 1, 11 to 12. Somewhere in the New Testament. Just keep flipping. Galatians 1, 11 to 12. It's the scripture we started with at the very beginning. I want him to read it. What you got there? See, like, if you just go to the real thing, Show, show the camera. What's he got? What's he got? Is that a real one? Can you just go to the real thing? What's it, what's it actually say? Galatians 1. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that this gospel I preach is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. You want the real thing? You want to get the ball in the net and in bounds? You want to have the point count? You want to get to the end of your life and have something to spend that was actually worth your value? You want to get to the moment where you see God and you're about to step into eternity and have something valuable to offer him, spend your life on the real thing. Don't get so paranoid that you won't know the counterfeit, that it sucks you into studying the counterfeit. Start with just knowing the real thing. Will you stand with me? Alex, that's yours. You can keep that. I'm going to be honest. I think it was actually also from PT's wallet, so I have no problem giving it away. passionate about this stuff. And it's not because we took classes and it got to a point where we were interested in it. Honestly, the classes I took, I wasn't in a place in my life where I knew the real Jesus well enough to have it really capture my heart like it should have, if I'm totally real. But like the experiences we have come to have with this man Jesus, the God man who is called the lamb with eyes like fire and hair white as snow, with a tongue like a sword that could literally divide the deepest part of you to the deepest depth. Like when you have an experience with that man, when you experience him, no counterfeit becomes nearly as valuable because you realize there's nothing you could spend it on. I'm done pretending. I want the real thing. Would you bow your heads? We're done pretending. We want the real thing. If you're here and you just recognize that, like, the Lord's doing something in you, you don't even maybe have language for that. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all. Maybe you have no church experience. Maybe all of this is incredibly new to you. I just want you to know that the, what you feel right now in your spirit is the God of the universe. His spirit is calling you by name. He is drawing you to himself. And it says that the Father draws men unto the Son. It is his purpose in your life that you would know Jesus and make him known. That is what he wants for you more than anything you could ever imagine.
And so if you desire that and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart and you sense what he's doing in you and you want to know him and you want to give your whole life to him and give all of who you are to receive all of who he is. We do it very simply. It's kind of a tradition we do. That if you want that, just go ahead and lift your hand right now so that we can pray together. If that's you, just go ahead and lift your hand. Thank you. And you can put it back down. Nothing magical happens when you lift your hand. It's just a signifier that you're bold enough to lift a hand to say, God, I'm going to truly do what I'm pledging I'm going to do right now in this moment. Anybody else? Cool. So for the rest of us, does what you know about Jesus have such a hold on you that if any piece of it changed, it would radically change who you are? Or is it just kind of certain things you've come to believe because it sounds right or your pastors believe it or you like the songs that say these things? Like, does it really have a hold on you? Have you seen him? Do you know him? Would you know a counterfeit if it came your, came your way simply because of how deeply you know the real thing? And if that's you and you recognize, look, I, I have some stake in things that I'm realizing are not valuable, and I want Jesus to speak something new. I want to see him in a new way. You want to have that encounter, just go ahead. Same thing. You're just going to lift your hand, and we're going to pray together. If that's you, just raise your hand.